0: Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. Carlin Gay alongside my main man, Mike Adams. Carlin, what's going on, brother? I'm here. It's weird that I can't see your face, but I can hear your (laughs) voice. And uh, that's good enough at times like this. Uh, Scott Rafferty is also here. Scott, what's going on, my man? Uh, I'm doing well, but I'm not your main man like Micah. What's up with that? Yeah, well, Micah gets the good introduction because we're going to get into a little debate in a second. This world isn't big
1: enough for the both of us, Scott. (laughs) I had to to start with love
0: I had to start with love with Micah Because we're going to get into it in just a second And Scott we're going to be on the same team uh, In a little bit But we do have to say NBA Sound System keeps going and going strong Spread the word if you haven't already We will be doing podcasts regardless of whether or not There is the basketball games That we all love to watch And we decided This actually got prompted by uh, a little debate that we had on our site over at nba.com ca.nba.com if you want to go and check it out uh Nick Nurse in my opinion and Scott's opinion is the coach of the year. Micah has a different opinion. He's wrong, but we'll allow him to uh I have I guess, the only
1: no, I I don't have an yeah. opinion. I I have a I have a a an indisputable fact-based rationale for why you guys are wrong, but Sure, downplay it like an opinion, whatever. <laughs> I, I, there's no downplaying it. You're, you're just simply flat out
0: wrong with this one. But we do want to get into also the other candidates that could potentially be the coach of the year. So let's start with the guys who we think are already there, lock, step, and key. Because we agree on that. We agree on
1: the top two at least, right? It's only a top. It's, I think it's a top two, and then there's a significant cliff. Maybe there's a top three, but I I think it's a pretty clear one too. Well, I gave you my I gave you Scott and I's
0: winner. Who do you have? Yeah. The so uh,
1: there's this there's this fake world you guys live in where Nick Nurse is the coach of the year, and he's been great. And I actually think he's he's a better coach uh, pound for pound than the guy that I'm gonna uh, that I'm gonna ride for. I actually think that this one's pretty obvious. I I think that the coach of the year. Is hands down, without a doubt, Billy Donovan of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like I don't even I don't even think that there's a case against it. This is a team that entered the year with a preseason over-under of 31 and a half wins. Uh they re- they reached that before the all-star break. We're on pace for 50. Uh, you know, all of the projections out there have had them finishing 50 and 32, 51 and 31. There's a chance that they're going to hit their over by 20 games, which is significantly more than anyone else. And almost twice, uh, that of the Toronto Raptors. I I do want to say something about the
2: over-unders because we we talked about this a little bit yesterday. And after our conversation, I decided to go back. We do an over-unders in our office. Um, before every single season track who's doing the best. And (laughs) I I looked at it because I was curious. Yeah. And the Oklahoma City Thunder, all of us but one uh, had the over for them. And I think a few of them, a few of us locked that over as well. So we were all on the same page as that being way too low for this team. And the Raptors, we were all over the place. I think it was pretty much split between people choosing over and under for them. So I agree with you that it it, it is so impressive that this Thunder team has done what they have, and and they're going to go way over that. They've already surpassed that total. Um, But it's also like this was kind of expected. I think it's fair to say that.
1: I, 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 I mean, Vegas would disagree with you. The guys that do that for a living would completely disagree with you. Vegas isn't always right. Safest overs. No, they're not always right, but they're they're pretty good at what they do, though. I will
2: say the one thing that could have changed that for this team is that we had no idea, one, the health of Chris Paul, and two, if they were going to blow it up at the trade deadline and, and try and trade Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, who's on an expiring contract and all that. Um, but I, I think it was just safe to assume that if they did keep it all together, they were going to be a good team. And that's why I think what has had to deal with is just so much more difficult. They lost two starters in Kuala and in Danny Green, they are basically playing at the same pace they were last season. They've missed the fifth most games in the league due to injury. And that's not just injury to rotational guys or guys on the bench, things like that. Like Kyle Lowry's missed time. Siakam has missed time. Marc Gasol's missed time. All of these things, and they're still one of the best teams in the league. And... You said that, I think you said in the chat that there's no doubt that Nick Nurse is a better coach than Billy Donovan, and I think that just Nurse gets the best out of every single player on his roster, and we've seen that, that he's not afraid to call guys out, and they always seem to respond, so I just think we, we can talk about how surprising this Thunder season has been, I just think that the Raptors have been even more surprising, even though a lot of people thought they would still make the playoffs.
0: You also have to look at the, the teams that are amongst that list, you mentioned Scott, 5th. In uh, in in man games lost to injury, two hundred and nineteen games lost to injury at the time of recording this. Uh, the Golden State Warriors lead the league in that category. They are dead last, dead last in the NBA as we speak. The Portland Trailblazers, second. They're not in the playoffs. The Detroit Pistons are an absolute mess. They're third. The Washington Wizards, everybody was crying for Bradley Beal to make the all-star team. Their best player is not in the lineup. That's why they are as bad as they are. And I'm talking about John Wall, of course. And then you have the Raptors, who are right there, fifth, in man games lost to injury, and have one of the top four records in the entire NBA. Every team above them or around them, the Chicago Bulls, Atlanta Hawks, the New Orleans Pelicans, and then the Pacers round out the top 10. They are nowhere near as good as the Raptors are record wise. And that is with the fifth most games lost to Man in Dream. And as Scott mentioned, that's Kyle Lowry being out. That's Marcus Saul being out, who's the starter. That's Pascal Siakam being out. That's Norman Powell, who can't stay on the floor and can't be healthy, even though he's in the midst of having trying to have a career season. That's Fred Van Vliet missing time. By the way, he got a finals MVP vote. Shout out to Hubie Brown. How many more people... I mean, the broadcasters are missing time. Leo Routon's missed time with back surgery in the middle of the season. Nick Nurse has been able to put this thing together with super glue and has a team that is not just fighting for their playoff lives. They're in the conversation to be the second seed in the Eastern Conference and one of the top five teams in the entire NBA and we didn't even get to them losing Kawhi Leonard. I know Scott mentioned that, but how big that is! He's the best player in the league.
1: Yeah, I, I for one, I for one am stunned, stunned that a team that went seventeen and five in games without Kawhi last year is winning this year without Kawhi. Come on, we can't just, we can't just forget what they did last year. If you were to use the, oh, they've they've performed in light of all the injuries and he's gotten everything out of every player, that is a completely valid coach of the year discussion. But let's not go so far down the path of, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this without Kawhi, when last year they literally won at a higher clip in games without Kawhi. It's the regular season. The Kawhi stuff only matters when we start talking about going far in the playoffs, winning a title. It's not a regular season thing it is a
0: regular season award though we're talking about coach of the year which is a regular season award so we shouldn't bring up the playoff uh implications because that's not going to matter when people are voting for this award and secondly the one thing that they had when Kawhi Leonard was missing games last year health they don't have that this year they do not have that top five in the league again without Kawhi that means something
1: I think it's hilarious that noted Canadian and Raptors fan Carlin Gay talks up the importance of guys being healthy and staying in the lineup when it suits his argument. When it's the Raptors, it's the end of the world. When everybody is hurt with the New Orleans Pelicans, it's, oh no, injuries are an excuse. We're going to downplay all the injuries. Come on, you're, you're playing the results here to frame your narrative around the coach for your favorite team who you think is the coach of the year. That's what's going on right now.
0: You could call me out, but the facts are facts. They're doing this with a makeshift lineup, and they've had to start a Rondé Hollis-Jefferson at center and figure it out throughout the regular season, and they're still winning. The Pelicans, on the other hand, they had injuries, and what did they do? They lost games.
2: (laughs) Look, Nick— I also think that Rondé Hollis-Jefferson part, by the way, just just points to something else about why Nick Nurse is the coach of the year. I I think tactically he just does stuff on a per-game basis that— no other coach in the league right now is doing consistently. When we talk about, you know, he he can throw Ronda Hellas jefferson out there and, and they can build a defense around him that can stop them getting torched by a guy like Carl anthony Towns. We, we've seen them full court press. We've seen them do box and one different types of zones. He's just not afraid to throw different things at teams, and I, I just think that helps his case, you know. And and it's also helped them remain competitive despite all of these injuries.
1: He's look, Nick Nurse has been amazing. I, I completely agree with you guys. He, that guy gets. I, there are games in which they're playing without uh, Fred Van Fleet and without. Serge Barca and Marcus Gasol and like Matt Thomas and Chris Boucher are coming in and playing like they've been a part of the rotation for for years. Like I, I'm not going to sit here and say he hasn't milked every ounce possible that he's gotten out of that team, but it's also it's also for the most part there. Yeah, they lost Kawhi, they lost Danny Green. They, they've been playing. That's a championship team. That's an experienced, veteran bunch that knows what they're doing with everyone on the court. You look at this team in Oklahoma City. It's a bunch of either unproven guys, guys who have never stayed healthy, and they're all new. Here are Billy Donovan's best players. A 34-year-old point guard who couldn't stay healthy each of the last two seasons. A second-year guard who averaged 11 points per game in last year as a rookie and didn't even finish in the top five of rookie of the year voting. They have a... A nice stretch forward that has also never averaged 20 points a game, is their number one offensive option for long stretches, and also has significant injury issues. They have a backup point guard coming off a year in which he shot 41% and played at a below replacement level, and a center who couldn't even stay on the floor in a playoff series against Portland because he was getting embarrassed every time down the floor by Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Those are their top five players. Like that's, that's the so team. misleading that's though. the team that Billy Donovan is playing and trotting out there. That's so misleading though.
2: Because you, you talk about you're talking about Chris Paul, who's a Hall of Fame point guard, one of the greatest point guards of all time. And you were I, I am not I'm not gonna di-
1: of- I'm not gonna dispute that he's a Hall of Famer. you can't he's not been a he's not been anywhere near an all star or Hall of Fame point guard these last two years. They had no idea that they were well, getting this from him. His his first season in Houston he was um, and, and you also
2: wrote an article in the off about how he could be that player again. Granted, if he can stay healthy, which was a huge question, it was mark, a big but question I don't mark. think it was a big question mark. But I also think it—it's not a complete surprise that he's played in an all-star level this season. I don't know if everyone saw it coming, but I, I don't think anyone is absolutely stunned by it. And then you also talk about a guy in Shea Gilgis Alexander. We've I all been super high me, on him, even though he didn't. Let, let put me up jump in, Scott.
0: Let me jump in, Scott. I, for one, I'll admit, and this doesn't help our argument, but I'll admit, I am shocked. That Chris Paul is playing at this level and getting back to All NBA uh, caliber basketball, um, I am shocked by that. But what I will say and let you finish, Scott, is this: Chris Paul is one of the easiest players to insert into any lineup in in NBA history. I mean, this is a guy that doesn't take much to put into a lineup and figure it out. This is a he's not he's not Russell Westbrook. You don't have to you don't have to figure things out around him. He's going to he's going to adapt to whatever the team is and and you're getting a Hall of Fame caliber guy at that level. I don't think that's a huge adjustment to make. I also think that
2: when you talk about Danilo Gallinari, again, injuries have always been a concern, but he's always been a guy that pretty much any team in the league would want on their roster, just because he's a, a valuable stretch four who can also create baskets for himself. Like When you look at top to bottom on this team, I th- I don't think anyone saw what Dennis Schroeder's doing, because I think he's probably the front runner for six man of the year. He's shown potential in the past, but he's never put it together in the way that he has this season. when you look at top to bottom they have a lot of really good smart veteran players on their roster and i think ultimately going back to it that's why we all picked the over for them this season because we thought they were going to be are
1: you you're going to tell me that top to bottom maybe at the top they have probably the 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 single thinnest bench in the entire league this is a team that's relying on an undrafted rookie uh starting in lou dort because they literally don't have any wings uh, that are capable NBA caliber wings. At the single most important position in the entire league, they're trotting out an undrafted rookie because that's just what they have to do. That's well, not, there's not top, you can't sell no, me no, you're right. top to bottom. No, you're right, you're right, you're right, that's fair. But that's also, that
2: position has been a problem on the Thunder for the last, what, five, ten years? They have never filled that shooting guard um, small forward spot. Kevin Durant filled the small forward spot, but like that—that that kind of guy on the wing who can hit shots and defend. Like they've never found that player, so I don't necessarily you can point to Lou Dort and say, you know, how is this guy playing on this team? Because they've never really had a true answer for that.
1: I also think so. I think you know, I, I we the Thunder have been flirting around in that seven six five kind of range in the West, and I think most people view them as sort of a middle to back end playoff team in the West. When in reality, the last. Several months. You throw the first month of the season out. They've been like one of the three best teams in the entire league. In fact, so this is a team that started the year five and ten, and entering the season, everyone thought, okay, maybe they're gonna trade Chris Paul, maybe they're gonna trade Danilo Gallinari, maybe they're gonna hit uh, hit the reset button, go full in around SGA. Reap the draft picks since that five and ten start. The only two teams in the entire league with a better record than Billy Donovan's crew are the Milwaukee Bucks and the Los Angeles Lakers. That's it. That's it. The Raptors. The Raptors probably would have been up there if they'd been healthy, though. They 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 would have been. They would have been. And that's credit to Nurse. Nurse has been great too. This I well we said it at the top that I pretty sure that we all agree it's too, kind of a a two-man race between the two of those guys. I just happen to think that what the job that Billy Donovan has done in piecing together this OKC team uh, with no bench, with all a new cast of characters, with zero expectations, uh, has just been truly remarkable.
0: I'm glad you said zero expectations because that's part of this as well. There were no expectations. As you said, the Smarts and the Sharks in Vegas picked them to not even make the playoffs. 32 wins was a disrespect to us, but those in the know thought they were only going to win around 32 games. They were absolutely wrong, and Billy Donovan deserves a ton of credit for that. So does the rest of the team, but... Like you said, no expectations. Nick Nurse had a ton of pressure coming into the season to prove to everybody that this team wasn't a fluke a year ago. That this team could still compete at a high level, losing the best player in the league. That this team could, could build around a, a guy who was literally sitting on the end of the bench two and a half years ago. That's what Nick Nurse had the pressure to do. He had the pressure to follow up a championship season and not miss the playoffs and not be expected to have it as a dud. And first nine games into the season, he's playing without his starting all-star point guard, Kyle Lowry, the greatest player in the franchise history, and Serge Ibaka, who would later on be going on to have a career year. And since then, he's had to trust Rondé Hollis Jefferson. He's had to figure out how to boost Chris Boucher and make him believe that he's an NBA talent. Uh, Matt Thomas, a guy who wasn't shooting well to start the season, couldn't even stay on the floor, couldn't guard. He figured out a way to hide him defensively. He is finding ways to get the best out of every single player on his roster, except for Stanley Johnson. And if Terrence, you Davis wanna, mention too. Terrence Davis is the only player that's played in every single game for the Raptors, and he's a rookie that no one would have picked at the beginning of the year to make an all-rookie team, didn't even get picked for the Rising Stars Challenge, and now has put himself in a position where he might be on the all-rookie team at the end of the season because of Nick Nurse. And as, as Scott said before, he's not afraid to call guys out. He's not afraid to try different things. We saw Terrence Davis get called out after a poor game that he had. He followed up, went to Charlotte, put him in the starting lineup, and Terrence Davis ends up hitting the game-winning shot, game-clinching shot to close the the show and by the way they had 7 guys that night 7 guys that night and when we started the season they were they were playing only 7 guys and still trying to figure out how to win games nick nurse has been doing it on the fly this team has transformed from what it was last year when we finally ended the season with them hoisting the championship to right now they haven't had the same team yet they have not had a, a 12 guys that he can walk into, even practice, and say, these guys are going to be available. These guys are going to be healthy. This is my rotation. We haven't even seen the best out of the Toronto Raptors yet. And still, they sit right now a top-four team in the
1: entire league. Can we, can we also talk about who they've won against? And more importantly, who they have not won against. We've been killing them the entire year for beating up on cupcakes, for not showing up in big games. This is a team that is a combined twenty six and zero against teams outside the top six in the Eastern Conference. That's a lot of really bad, awful, terrible, beyond mediocre basketball teams in the Eastern Conference. This is a team, a Raptors team, that gets up for beating on the Hawks and the Hornets and the Bulls and the Pistons and the Knicks. The Thunder are doing it in the Western Conference. Like that, that has to matter. That has to matter. It does, but the Raptors,
0: if they were in the Western Conference and you give them the percentage of victories that they have right now against the Western Conference, they would have a better winning percentage against the Western Conference than the Thunder do. There's They're a, big, there's a big difference beating up against it. those same, Beating up against those same bottom-feeding teams. Don't give me the Warriors because the Warriors aren't anything this season. The Thunder had a chance to play them. That's the worst team in the NBA. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves haven't been great this season. One of the worst teams in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns, fools goal at the start of the season. One of the worst teams in the NBA, the underachieving San Antonio Spurs, which I'm sure we will get to at some point in this podcast. The Thunder have beat them up too. So don't look at just the Eastern Conference and look at soft scheduling and and say that you know uh, the the Raptors are taking advantage of it. The good teams beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. That's what good teams do, and that's what a good team does, and and that's what Nick Nurse has had his team do with. Swiss cheese lineup with a with a makeshift lineup being held together by a band aid, Billy Donovan has had the luxury of Showing up to work and actually seeing people and faces that he's familiar with and knowing that his starting lineup is going to be intact, the only change, that, as you mentioned, is Lou Dort in the middle of the season. And since then, they've been rolling. They've been lucky to have health the entire time since Lou Dort's been there over 20 games. Ask me how many games Nick Nurse has had his full complimentary of uh, roster, at least the starting five. has hasn't It been, hasn't been 20.
2: And I thought you made a good point in our chat Colin, the other day. I, I can't remember what exactly the number was, but... Chris Paul, Shea, Stephen Adams, that their the main core cool guys have missed very few games this season. Yeah, and combined and like saying combined nine going.
0: games, combined nine games, and only three players on the Raptors have played eighty-five percent of their schedule. And it's Terrence Davis, OG Ananobi, and I believe it's Chris Boucher the third. Which
2: is incredible because they've. Going back to this whole below and above 500 teams, they're 35 and four against teams below 500. So I, I don't know why we need to punish a team for taking care of business against teams that they should. And the fact that they're 11 and four against teams above 500, I think that shows more the limitations of this roster and the need for someone like a Kawhi Leonard to put them over the edge than it does anything else.
1: It's not about it's not about punishing a team for beating the teams that it should. And Carl I agree with you. A sign of a good team is beating the teams that you should. Nobody should apologize for the schedule that they have to play, but I do think it's important when you're splitting hairs about over-exceeding expectations and why is the team winning this many games, you 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 have to factor who they play uh, the bulk of their games against when talking about why is this team winning more games than this shit. That just has to be part of the conversation. That's all I'm saying.
2: So so the Raptors are 11-14 against teams above 500 this season. Do you know the Thunder are?
1: Probably worse than that. 9-17. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't have the window. No, I don't have a, I mean, that. I literally, I, I just said I'm not going to be surprised by that. But it's also, uh, it must be nice to have 26 games of basically a half of their schedule has, has been among the, the worst teams in the league. And they've gone undefeated against those teams. And they shouldn't apologize for that. But there's also a lot of sort of baked in uh, to to what Toronto has done so far this year. There is.
0: I'll shoot you. I'll shoot you one thing that I think Billy Donovan has done a great job of, and and maybe even better than Nick Nurse this season. And I know Chris Paul is going to get a lot of credit for this uh, at the end of the year because he's been one of the best clutch players in the entire league. But I think Billy Donovan. Should get some credit, and the coach should get some credit for how a team plays when the game is on the line in the clutch. No team has played more clutch games than the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are—they've played forty-two in the uh, in the regular season so far. Uh, They're at a sixty-nine percent win percentage in those clutch games. Obviously, Chris Paul is going to get a lot of uh, you know the, the credit for that and he should. He's been one of the best clutch players in the entire league and he's, you know, a Hall of Fame point guard as we've mentioned many times on this episode. But it, there still has to be something to set to be said about the coach uh, putting his team in a position to win games when it's one on one. X's and O's do matter in the regular season, uh, and I think Billy Donovan does get should get credit for that. Nick Nurse hasn't seen as many clutch games as as uh, as the as the Oklahoma City Thunder rapper have only played in in uh, thirty four, but they've won sixty five percent of those games. So it, um, it's not that that Nick Nurse can't do it. I'm just saying that Billy Donovan has had more opportunities this season, and he should get some credit for what his team has done in those opportunities.
2: And a big reason for that is the, the three-guard lineup, which is pretty unconventional uh, considering the, the size of these guys, because he, he rolls with Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the backcourt um, in a lot of those clutch situations, and that that lineup has been incredible all season long. I mean, they're basically putting up video game numbers. Their offensive rating is 127.9. Their defensive rating is 98.0. So they're outscoring teams by 29.9 points per 100 possessions. And it's on a pretty decent sample size. Uh, so he absolutely deserves credit for the way that they performed in crunch time. And I think his trust on that three-guard lineup, um, it, it, you ha- you have to speak about that when you're talking about Billy Donovan and his coach of the year case.
1: So it sounds like we're we're all in agreement here in some order. And I know we don't agree on what the specific order is, but beyond Donovan and Nurse, who else has sort of caught your guys' eye uh, that at least warrants mention, even if it's a third-place finish?
0: Absolutely got to be Eric Spolstra, right? Like, Eric Spolstra, it shocks me that he hasn't won a Coach of the Year award. Right now, his team sitting in fourth place in the Eastern Conference, uh, you know, they're 41-24. and 24 um they had a complete pretty much a complete roster ton- turnover uh in the offseason they add Jimmy Butler who over the last couple of years many have said he's been difficult to work with play with whatever you want to say about that but he's had him buy into the heat culture so to speak and 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 he's kind of been centered around a bunch of guys that we didn't really know much about before this season other than Bam Adebayo. He's turned Bam Adebayo into an all-star, giving him the confidence to do it on both ends of the floor. Uh, he, he's found Kendrick Nunn, who's who's you know one of the best scorers on the team, Duncan Robinson. He's given him the green light to keep shooting threes until, until they start to fall. Uh, he has a rotation, and everybody kind of knows their role, and I think that That's part of coaching, too. We always talk about the X's and O's and stuff. But one thing you get with the Miami Heat is that from top to bottom, every single player knows when they show up to the arena exactly what they're there to do. And there's a lot of coaches in the NBA that really don't define roles the way that the Miami Heat do or the winning teams in the NBA do. And Eric Sposha does deserve some credit for that.
2: I think three other names you have to throw into that is Frank Vogel of the Lakers. Um, Mike Budenholzer of the Bucks, although the fact that they're not probably not going to win 70 games probably takes him out of, of winning it. And I think Taylor Jenkins would probably be third on my coach of the year ballot right <gasps> now of the Memphis Grizzlies. You know you know, Your who. boy, Carlin, your you boy, might, boy you, Taylor Jenkins. You might not be able to pick him out of the lineup. I can draw a picture you, you of you know him if you
0: want about. me to. Who we play for?
1: Uh, no, I'm I, Scott, I'm curious as to why you had Jenkins third because he he was my pick too. I mean if we're just talking about teams that have exceeded expectations this
2: season, I think the Grizzlies had were projected to have the third worst record in the league this season. Like nobody expected this team to be competitive and right now they're in the 8th seed in the Western Conference and I think John Moran gets a lot of attention for that because he's the runner like you know he's the, the rookie of the year favorite right now. He's having a great season, but this team is just really well coached. He's put guys from top to bottom on the roster in positions to succeed, to to succeed and as a first-year coach, I just think he's done a tremendous job.
1: I completely agree, and I think that um, part of the reasoning for why Jenkins should get a lot of love is not just the fact that Memphis is sort of doing this and surprising people. It's the manner in which they were doing it. I think if you were to say at the beginning of the year, okay, hey, we're going to be at the two-thirds way and Memphis is going to be in the eighth seed, somebody you would have probably guessed that John Morant had a rookie of the year type of season. Bingo. He is. He's doing that, but you would have probably also said that Jaron Jackson Jr. probably uh, was faster developing than expected. Maybe he would have made the leap to All Star or borderline All Star somewhere in that like Bam out of biotype range. But really, that hasn't been the case. Like Jaron Jackson Jr. has been fine, but he, it's not like he made this huge step. And, and really, the, uh, their two studs really haven't played a whole lot together. Uh, John Morant, just 53% of his minutes this entire season have been spent alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. So really, when you look at the job that Jenkins has done with the Grizzlies, it goes beyond those two. He's getting the most out of Dylan Brooks. Brandon Clark's probably going to be a first-team all rookie guy. He looks like the steal of the draft, and Jonas Valanciunas, right? Like this is a league trending smaller. He's the guy that was the odd man out in Toronto. Valanciunas for about 25 minutes a game has been an absolute wrecking ball. Uh, his per 36 minutes uh, stats are are completely off the charts, and I want to give him props for one thing specifically. So on February 5th. There was the pending trade that was going to send Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, and Solomon Hill uh, out. I know Iguodala had not been playing, but Crowder and Hill were two very important parts of that team, of that rotation. On that game in which Crowder and Hill didn't play because of that pending trade, they went into Dallas and they won by 14. Granted, Luka Doncic didn't play, but they still had Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, this is a team that had beat Milwaukee earlier in the year without Luka, so still very capable team. And Memphis is seven and eight since making that trade. They've they've more than tread water, and that's really with getting no pieces back from Miami that have even seen the floor. And by the way, they have a better record since the trade than the Miami Heat. They also have a better record since that trade than two teams trying to catch them, Portland and San Antonio. So I I really think when you look at the totality of what Taylor Jenkins has done, I think he deserves to be uh, right there along with Eric Spolstra in that 3-4 range uh, in the Coach of the Year talk.
0: I'm going to throw some uh, – and I, I agree with that, uh, that that take on Taylor Jenkins. Obviously, I'm joking. I, I do know who he is, and, and and he does deserve respect for what he's done uh, in Memphis. So I'm going to throw some names at you. I want you guys to, to before we close out here, quickly respond with uh, whether or not you think these guys are not Coach of the Year candidates, but whether or not they've overachieved, underachieved, or just done their job.
1: Uh, Brett Brown. Well, wow, why don't you tell us how you feel? Because I know the, your feelings on this. I think I think <laughs> you should track. share those with the uh, our faithful NBA <laughs> system <laughs> listeners. Well,
0: Britt Brown's underachieved, and that's that's clear. That's I mean I understand that there's been injuries. Don't there, let him off the hook. He,
1: don't let him off the hook by just saying he's underachieved. Tell us how you really feel.
0: He's underachieved. He's absolutely underachieved. Not just this season, but he's underachieved last season as well. There's I understand that there's injuries there, but the talent that they have in Philadelphia. They should be a top four team in the Eastern Conference, at least, at the very least. The fact that they're flirting with the fifth, sixth seed at the time of uh, the, the pause in the NBA season is a colossal failure for this team. Many pick people pick this team to make the NBA Finals, and granted, they still can. They still can make the Finals, but... It's not looking likely. It's not looking likely at all. When this team was healthy and, and playing with with all of their pieces, they looked like a team that shouldn't even be on the floor with the Milwaukee Bucks, Toronto Raptors, Boston Celtics, and Miami Heat. I, 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 I mean, the reason why, I'm going to go out and say the reason why the Philadelphia 76ers are not going to make the finals this year isn't because of Joel Embiid, isn't because of Ben Simmons, is not because of Tobias Harris, and it's definitely not because of Al Horford. It is because of Brett Brown. Brett Brown is holding this team back from breaking through that glass ceiling. Brett Brown is the glass ceiling, and they won't be able to move forward until they find another way to move him along in the organization.
2: I was one of those people who had the 76 making the finals, so uh, I'll just say he's underachieving as well.
1: Is it finals or bust for Brett Brown? Is that is that sort of what he has to do moving forward to, to remain the coach in Philly? I mean, it's a championship I mean, or bust.
2: You don't think if he made the conference
0: finals that would be enough?
1: I conference I will, finals? I don't think so. I think it's got to be the NBA finals. Has to be at least.
0: I, I think it will be a disservice to the Philly fan, the Philadelphia organization, if he doesn't make the at least the finals this season, and if they keep him beyond this season, had he only you know got bounced in the second round of the playoffs.
2: I mean, this team's at risk of losing in, in the second round, and it, it, the first round might not even be easy for them. Right now, they'd be playing the Celtics, um, and the Celtics have had a tough time keeping up with Joel Embiid in the past and everything. But that's, I mean, that could be a tough series.
1: I actually don't think that they're going to get past the first round, but yeah, and that and this is a team that I I, I picked to reach the NBA Finals uh, before the season. So uh, yeah, we're three for three with uh, Brad Brown, uh, somewhat underachieving, and by somewhat, uh, I mean drastically underachieving
0: <laughs> yeah i was i was on the philly uh, bandwagon as well all three of us expected them to be in the finals we're uh we're ashamed of our picks um nate mcmillan
1: love nate mcmillan
0: Over- yeah this is Over-
1: this is an overachieving overachieve yeah i got overachieve uh greg popovich oh man let's let's talk can we have a conversation about greg popovich well, we don't need we don't need to wait. Nobody needs to hear us waste time or oxygen talking about how great Greg Popovich is. He's obviously a legend. He's maybe the greatest coach in NBA history. He's in the conversation. None of nothing of what happens this season changes any of that. Okay, that being said, if you were to rank every head coach 1 through 30 in terms of the jobs they've done this season, I would put Greg Popovich dead last at number 30. You guys know I love my I love my stat about how uh, teams are overachieving or underachieving their win total. It's why I think Billy Donovan's the coach of the year. If you look at the bottom of that list, the teams who are most off of what their preseason expectations were. There are 3 teams who were on track to lose at least 10 or more games than projected. Leading the way is the Golden State Warriors. I, I think we all know why the Warriors were not going to reach that 47 and a half. No Steph Curry. Uh, Draymond's missed time. They had a big trade throughout the year. They've been basically been playing G League guys throughout the entire year. That There's no surprise there. You can explain that away. The Detroit Pistons, same thing, Blake Griffins played 18 games the entire year, even when he was playing, he didn't look like himself at all, they traded their other best player Andre Drummond, Derrick Rose, for a good stretch of the season, was probably the best guy on the team, and he was coming off the bench for the most part, so those two you can explain away. San Antonio, the San Antonio Spurs entered with an over-under of 46.5, currently on pace, For 35 wins. They really don't have any excuses at all. If you look at that, at that games missed, the same metric that we were talking about earlier as it relates to the Toronto Raptors, missing the fifth most games of all teams, including the most among playoff games. The San Antonio Spurs have missed a grand total of 30 games the entire season by all of their players combined. That is the fewest missed games in the entire league. They have only had two players on their team miss more than five games. Lamarcus Aldridge missed 10. Damari Carroll missed 13. They have had their entire team pretty much from start to finish more than you could ever reasonably expect. This is a team that... They rank dead last in the league in attempts in the restricted area, so they don't get easy looks. They take by far the most mid-range shots. That's not a winning recipe in today's modern NBA, and they also rank third to last in generating corner threes. Again, one of the one of the game's most valuable shots, the most valuable spots on the floor. They've been healthy, they don't play a style that can win. You just watch them, they look lethargic, tired, like they're com- completely disinterested. I could not be any more out on what the San Antonio Spurs have showed because this is not the same team uh, that is the one that's made the playoffs approximately 822 straight years uh, tied for the longest in NBA history. I, I'm so out on the job that Greg Popovich has done with the San Antonio Spurs this season.
0: Better coach in San Antonio, Greg Popovich or Tim Duncan, who was is 1-0 in his coaching career?
1: Tim Duncan, but really the answer is Becky Hammond, who should have gotten the nod over Duncan in that <laughs> she game. Should, she, absolutely, she absolutely should have. Uh, Scott, do you have anything to
0: add on that uh, soliloquy? Um, the, the,
2: the, the interesting thing about me, to the, about the Spurs, is that despite all of those things that you just said about them offensively, they have the 11th best, best offensive rating in the league, right now tied with the Toronto Raptors. I, I, I would not have expected to see that when I pulled it up. It's been defensively that they've had problems, and I want to say it was the exact same case last year, which is not something you expect from a Greg Popovich team. They're just a very weird team. I I, I don't know how else to say it. You, you were talking about their shot selection, everything like that. LaMarcus Aldridge shooting more threes than he ever has before has helped, but DeMar DeRozan has completely changed his game to the point where he's basically just gotten rid of three-pointers completely and is only shooting inside the arc. They're they're just super weird. I don't really know what to make of them. Uh, I was confused about them at the start of the season when they were going through that losing streak and everything. And and it's just sad that that streak is not going to live because I kind of wanted to see the Spurs, was it the longest streak in American sports history of going to the playoffs? Is that what it was?
1: Yeah, North American history but yeah basically
2: yeah so that that's that's not happening so you think you uh, think they could nice have used you think happening.
1: they could have used davis Bertans instead of letting him walk for nothing you think that you think yeah they could, would... uh, go back in time and redo that one
2: i i think they would have they would like to do that if they could i think it's safe to say
0: marcus morris it's, it's all marcus morris's fault right yeah if he had uh, if he had just stayed there maybe they'd be in the playoffs
2: yeah, they went from I mean, Mar- Batons to to Morris to uh, Tamari Carroll, right? Wasn't that the <laughs> the way that it's gone this season? It's
0: <laughs>
1: incredible. Not, it's not good. Yeah, you, uh, you, you know, you know, Marcus Morris knew the minute he signed with the Knicks that he wasn't into the year on the Knicks, right? Absolutely. He was going to get the bag and then get out by February. That was the that was the plan from the jump.
2: Yeah, Listen. absolutely. It was the same thing with uh, Trevor Ariza when he uh, signed that big contract he did what two years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of the Knicks, going for the money. Speaking of they're only six games worse right now than the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, so that's that's to put it into perspective of how the Spurs' season has went. Um, one more for you, Mike D'Antoni.
1: I think he's been great. I actually think that that's a name that uh, I maybe he shouldn't be in the coach of the year conversation. Just because it's been it's been just absolute mayhem from start to finish. But I, I I love that he like leaned, completely leaned into what he's always wanted to do. I think you've heard Steve Nash say it multiple times that their one biggest regret with the seven seconds or less Suns team was that, that they didn't they didn't take it far enough. I love that he's him and Daryl Morey have sort of just come together and say like, uh if we're gonna go down, we're gonna go down doing it our way. He's basically turned Russell Westbrook into a power forward. Uh, PJ Tucker is is the Bravest, most commendable uh, day in day out uh, lunch pail uh, guy in, in the entire league. I, I think Mike D'Antoni's done a done a great job this year. I'm I'm with you. I don't know if I'd say he's
2: overachieved just because it's been it's been a pretty up and down season for the Rockets. But given everything that they've had to deal with, I mean, we going into the season, I think everyone had questions about how Russell Westbrook was going to fit next to James Harden in D'Antoni's system, and it got off to a bit of a slow start. But that trade, moving Clint Capella, as you said, I mean, I I think Russell Westbrook has basically been their center, the way that he plays on offense, attacking the basket, living in the paint. He posts up more than anyone else on the team. I just think he's done the best that he can, given the roster and the situation. And I I hope the season does resume, because it will be fun to see how far the Rockets can actually push this small ball.
0: Uh, We didn't didn't really prepare for this but we got to do shout outs don't we we have to this is part of the program um so i'm going to start <laughs> shoutout we pretty much we pretty much named wow. every single coach in the nba so we're going to go go shout out a, a coach that we haven't named that you think uh deserves a little bit more attention than he that he's getting um i'm going to go first since i since i'm th- throwing this at you guys uh on the fly james Borrego for me uh in charlotte has done a, a terrific job With the roster that he's had, um, they they weren't a playoff team to start the season. They won't be the playoff team to end the season. But I think he's done a good job of developing certain players, and him him and his coaching staff are putting this team in a position to at least build upon this season and hopefully at some time down the line get an impact player. Uh, Devonte Graham, what he's done this season has been incredible. Uh, Miles Bridges has been great um, at, at parts of the season. PJ Washington, a lot of people didn't expect them. Uh, you know, to they kind of he kind of wasn't on high on many people's uh, list of being a, an impact rookie. He's been pretty good starting season, falling off a little a little towards the end. But they're developing different parts of his game, and and even the the Martin twins. Uh, I I'm on record as saying that Cody Martin. Might one day make all defensive team. I think he's that good defensively. I think he could really, really guard, and that's uh, that's a huge part for the rest of the uh, the, the coaching staff. So, um, what what do you guys have as a, as a shout out for for these coaches?
2: I'm kind of surprised that we haven't talked about Brad Stevens at all in this pod. Uh Colin, I know you were kind of critical of him last season. A lot of people were critical of him last season because that team, everyone was expecting him to be a title contender and they fell well short of that and they had problems all season long. And and that wasn't all Brad Stevens, but I think some of it was on him. And, And this season, I think he's just got a roster that is easier for him to coach and suits his coaching style more. And like we've been talking about the Raptors and how you know they've been the second best team in the East and everything like that, and how we didn't see it coming. I don't really know if anyone saw the Celtics being the third best team in the East at this point of the season. I know I sure didn't. Um, and you know, Kem- Kemba's fit in perfectly there. Jason Tatum has taken the leap that we were all hoping to see last season. Jalen Brown has been fantastic. He was a borderline All Star. He's getting the, the the most out of those guys, and I think just both ends of the court, they're playing at a really high level. Brad Stevens is probably not going to be on the coach of the ballot, he might, he might not, I don't think he will be, but he, he's proven to be one of the best coaches in the league again this season.
1: That's a great call. I think the the one guy that I'm going to go with is uh, Rick Carlisle. I think that obviously Luka Doncic uh, blossoming into a legit fide superstar is a uh, reason one A uh, for what Dallas has been able to do. But I, I think at I believe that right now the Dallas Mavericks have the most efficient offense in NBA history. And uh, in order to do that, you need a whole heck of a lot more than just one uh, 21-year-old going nuts for for six months, I think the job that Rick Carlisle has done there, uh, figuring out a way to while Luca and Porzingis take some time to integrate, he found ways involving Dwight Powell and getting Maxi Kleber involved. Uh, he's he's done a great job with it with the other guard rotation there with with Jalen Brunson and 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 sort of figuring out how he fits into the grand scheme of things. I think that Rick Carlisle has done a great job uh, as we've come to expect. I think he's a he's sort of a just one of the the top X's and O's guys in the league has a reputation for always getting the most out of his guys and once again doing a great job in Dallas.
0: I agree with both of you. I think those are both uh, great coaches who have, have not overachieved, but done a good job this season with what they've had. Um, let's end it here. Let's uh, we, We've basically talked about every single coach in the entire league at this point and gave a shout out to many of them that deserve it for Micah Adams. And Scott Rafferty. I am Carlin Gay. Apologies to Greg Popovich and Brett Brown on this episode. Keep it locked right here, NBA Sound System. We're going all the way through until the NBA season comes flying back at us whenever it does. See you next time, right here on NBA Sound System.